Oh, hello, beautiful listeners. <laughs> you can definitely tell by Megan's voice that she is happy. And yes. Yes. So today is we're recording on November 8th. That is a Sunday. And so for those of you who don't know, if you like live under a rock or just haven't been paying attention to the news, the United States of America just elected a new president-elect, Mr. Joe Biden, with Vice President Kamala Harris. Words cannot express how just fucking thankful and grateful and optimistic and relieved I am. And I think just the world is as well. I might exist there. I think also people are just happy to not have to look at the news for a little while now. (laughs) (laughs) Because we have yes in a way deposed a tyrant or a mad ruler someone who rules by their own accord and you know just was in a different realm <laughs> like <laughs> honestly yeah. um you know president donald trump and i just can't even fathom you know come january 20th having a president and not worrying every day when i read the news like uh, what have they done this time? Yeah. What more they have done? What have they said? What have they tweeted? Ugh. Yeah, it's... And as like we were mentioning, Elo and I speaking before we recorded today, I have, you know, felt this this weight of shame in a way for the past four years. And, you know, whenever I traveled, when we were able to travel, people asking you know, where I'm from. And I'm saying, oh, I'm American. The first question almost always was, oh, so what do you think of Trump? And, you know, just having the kind of like exasperated smile and light head shake, you know, or eye roll. And most of the time, other people just kind of laughed and were like, yeah, to not have to deal with that or feel that anymore. It's just, it's so nice. Yeah. Decency literally won. Yeah. And I mean, it's a long road ahead, but I think it's going to be the opening of a door for great change, necessary change, positivity, decency, respect, sanity, like literal factual truth, science, scientific evidence. (laughs) Maybe the WHO won't be defunded anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And the EPA will be like restored to full capacity and I mean, Biden has already said that the first thing he's going to do is rejoin the Paris Accord. Thank God for that. Oh, yeah. my God. So That was so dumb. Yeah. It's so it's I honestly, I can't like I've had just a stupid smile on my face since the news broke last night. Yeah. Um, so we thought, you know, originally we were going to kind of continue our death theme and talk about Coco. Yeah, but then our film just because neither of us had seen it, and we yeah. briefly mentioned it last week, and then you know Dia de los Muertos, and we thought that would be like a fun, cozy conversation. But yeah, then with the election, I got a message. I got a message from from Megan being like, "Scrap Coco." Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this was on I think Wednesday when oh my god, before you know the mail in ballots had been. Um, started to be counted. So Trump was still heavily leading in like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, you know, and I was just like, if Trump fucking wins, we are talking about like despotic and horrible rulers. Like we're just, we're doing it. I was 
very just kind of ready to accept the worst after having had my heart broken so severely in 2016 with the election and Hillary Clinton. And then with just how long this election took, as everyone knows, yeah. I mean, it took almost a week. It took five days. We just continued to think, yeah, this is much more like in line with the tone of the world at the moment. So we will do Coco eventually. But we just think that talking about horrible rulers or mad rulers is just much more fitting. As we say, like, bye-bye, you're fired to President Trump. <laughs> Um, bye, Dan. Bye. And a quick, like, little digression. I don't know if you saw this, Elo, but, you know, in regards to my research, exciting. Um, there was, like, a tweet. And I also saw on Instagram. I don't remember who posted it. Um, and it was, like, America right now. And then it was a screenshot of the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre where mm-hmm. the final girl, Sally, who yes. is... Yes, yes, I saw it on your Instagram. ...is looking back and smiling, you know, maniacally, really, because she's just gone through this horrible, horrible experience. And I just was like, okay, A, yes, everyone feels like we've just escaped, like, a psychotic killer, which, in a sense, with Trump's current death count due to his response to the pandemic is true, let alone other kind of, like, racial injustices. But then, you know, with my research on Final Girls and horror and, like, the cultural moment, I was like, oh, my God, look at this. Nerd alert. I'm excited. Have you saved these posts? Because obviously, like, with how internet works, you'll probably lose them otherwise. Yeah, I um, I retweeted from Instagram the post with Sally at the end. So I have that in my Twitter record, I guess. Maybe take a screenshot in case you accidentally delete it or something. Yeah, the internet is a weird place. So, I mean, I feel like... Yeah, no, that's smart. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to digress. I just, I saw that and I was like, that's a great combination of all the things. We've, we did the same thing as last week and we've forgotten to introduce ourselves. So, <laughs> um, hi, I'm, I'm Megan. I'm Ello. And welcome to our podcast where we yes. ramble and shamble and talk and talk. Yes. So Modern Medieval, the podcast. And this week, as we talk about, you know, horrible rulers, there's a good chunk that are medieval. We will kind of toss in a few others that are from the classical era. So like Roman rule. And there's a couple that eke through in the early modern era, but this is in honor of toppling the despot Donald Trump. And yeah. I don't know like how you went about researching this. I just basically in Google typed in like worst monarchs in history and horrible monarchs. That's what I did. So I (laughs) God, we lack originality. Well, because I also didn't really know how to like phrase it. So I have one list that is nine of the worst monarchs in history from History Extra. I have one from the history.com, like the history channel, which is 10, uh, quote, allegedly mad monarchs. I've got Ranker, the most brutal medieval monarchs. Mm-hmm. And then I have two that I had personally added to my own list that weren't mentioned in here that I think are honorary mentions. There's definitely overlap in them. Yeah. As well as, you know, standalones. I don't know if you have any other different lists, Ello, or how we want to go about doing this. I think maybe we should do a top five and then add one. Okay. That sounds fair. 
So I guess I guess we could each do a top five. And if we share, then yeah. we share. Um, so I'll start just because I have it literally right here in front of my face. Okay. Maybe he's on your list. But I have the Roman Emperor Gaius Caligula from I him, but yes, I do know uh, about him. AD 12 to 41. Mm. And so you mean Caligula, everyone I think knows that name, even if they're not aware of when or how he's up there with like Pontius Pilate and Nero. He's also up there with Commodus, who, if you've ever seen the film Gladiator, Commodus is the ruler in that. That's Joaquin Phoenix's character. Mm. The reason why I'm mentioning Caligula is because he was not only a good ruler, he didn't rule for a very long time. He only ruled for about three years. But, um, and he was, he was ultimately assassinated. Mm. But I've nominated him because of the scandals that he has. Ooh. So according to the historic records and contemporaries, he was described as insane, self-absorbed, short-tempered. He killed and massacred on a whim and indulged in too much spending and sex. He's also oh. accused of sleeping with other men's wives and then bragging about it. <laughs> Trump. Um, killing for mere amusement. Wait, deliber- did that? Sorry. I mean, I wouldn't put it past, but just Trump sleeping <laughs> with people and bragging about it and then saying it didn't happen and other horrible things. But Caligula, all- Caligula also uh, deliberately wasted money on his bridge, which caused mass starvation. And um, he also wanted to put a statue of himself in the Temple of Jerusalem for his worship because he wanted to be seen as a deity, as divine, and as a god. He was also said to have forced his soldiers to build a two-mile-long floating like raft so mm-hmm. that he could gallop his horse on the river. Another story, I don't know if this is really true or not, because I'm not a classicist, and you know, there's always so much confliction, so this is just kind of, I guess, like a you know, one of those antidotal stories, true or not. But um, at um, a game that Caligula was presiding at, he was said to have ordered his guards to throw an entire section of the audience into the arena during the intermission to be eaten by the wild beasts because there were no prisoners to be used and Caligula was bored. I find that, you know, it's really interesting when you have like the essential feelings of a monarch be at the forefront of how they rule. So it's kind of like, oh, well, I was, I was in a bitchy mood because I was hungry becomes like oh I was in a bitchy mood because I was hungry so I killed 200 people right yeah it's just so (laughs) radically different he's also been accused of having incest with his sisters Agrippina the younger Drusilla and Lavilla as well as prostituting them to other men he has been said to send his troops to illogical military exercises for no reason he turned the palace into a brothel and this is yeah. Like Most famously, and this is like my absolute favorite element of him and just like a, you know, testament is he planned or at least promised to make his horse in Cetatus a consul and he actually appointed his horse as a priest. Like that is batshit crazy power move and I love it. So the horse thing is definitely true and in the records, the others in regard to like sexual, you know, instances, etc is like I mentioned earlier, debatable, especially because in Roman mm. political culture, insanity and sexual perversity were often presented hand in hand with poor government and poor governing. But regardless, that just sounds chaotic 
And I also think that when we visualize the Roman Empire, it's very kind of strict and mandated and controlled in a certain way. So I thought that talking about Caligula was just a really fun introduction to horrible rulers and why. When I say number one, too, it's not like, oh, he's my top choice. He's just the first in my list. So, but you could do it either way you want, Ello. So I'm passing the Um, torch to you. So I'm going to speak about William the Bad. And William the Bad is Sicilian. Mm -hmm. He was born 1120. So William the First was a Norman king. By the Britannica, he is considered an able ruler who successfully repressed the conspiracies of the barons of his realms. Bear in mind, though, that he appointed the person who, you know, put on said conspiracies. He also patronized science and letters and showed religious tolerance among those who frequented his courts were many Muslims. And the reason that he was so, you know, considered the bad is because he caused lots of wars, which um, were cruel and obviously quite violent. And it also meant that a lot of the things that happened, you know, you know how last time we used to speak about Sicily as, I previously speaking of Sicily as a time of like, in the Middle Ages, a time of tolerance, where he did the exact contrary and um, is one of the main reasons why he is known. So he imposed stern punishment on the dissidents, who this time received no help. Later, they were all very glad to have his son come into power. Yeah, and with William the Bad, isn't he also known for, like, kicking his nine-year-old son to death? Isn't that one of the stories with him? As well as um, him imprisoning his daughter, right? Constance, Princess Constance, which I know there's lots of controversy over that and whether or not... uh, He did that, yeah. So she was put into a monastery, for those who don't know, and there's a bit of a conflict over if she was forced to become a nun or not. She did end up marrying, but uh, yeah, it's just this other thing of like, put the woman into a monastery or a convent, get her away from us. Yeah, he's on all the lists that I have. William the First of Sicily, also known as William the Bad or the Wicked. What? So in Sicilian, it's uh, Guglielmo Lu Malu. Is that an actual translation to like William the? No, it's Guglielmo. I wouldn't. I don't actually think so. But you never know with these things. So it's quite interesting to see what names people come up with. Okay, I was just curious. That's according to Wikipedia, so it could be yeah. wrong. But it just said Sicilian. Guglielmo Lumalu. I might be pronouncing Lumalu means the bad. Okay, so it does loosely translate. Cool. So which one's your next? Um, What's your next one? I'm trying to think. So we, of course, have other, like, mad kings that aren't necessarily bad. You know, I think that Henry VI is worth a mention just because of Shakespeare um, Pedro the Cruel, who was king of Castile and Leon in the 1350s, who is said to have one of the most dramatic moments in the Middle Ages, is up there. He ordered numerous murderers. However, I think that I am going to run with Ivan the Terrible. Oh, I don't have him in my list. So Ivan the Fourth, the Terrible, he is... 1547 to 1584, a ruler. So Mm. Prince Ivan Vasilevich grew up in the court of Moscow. 
and his life was often in danger from the rivalry of the boyars, or that's what they called nobles. So he had this lifelong hatred of the nobility and a really deep streak of ruthless cruelty. At age 13, he had one boyar eaten alive by dogs. Mm. And um, he was the first, like, crowned Tsar of all of Russia, so emperor of all of Russia. And he ruthlessly crushes the boyars, steals their lands, and gives them to his followers, and condemns millions of Russians to the permanent state of serfdom, which still has ripple effects today. That's why he's, like, on my list. Like, someone who really just, um, you know, you, you feel it. Uh, one thing, because I also bring him up because of us just talking about uh, William the Bad's name, is the translation of Ivan the Terrible's name. So the English word terrible is usually used to translate the Russian word uh, Grozna, and Ivan's nickname. And Grozna is G-R-O-Z-N-Y. But that's a somewhat archaic translation. Mm-hmm. So the word grozna reflects an older English usage of the word terrible, as in inspiring fear or terror, dangerous, powerful, formidable. So like a strong hand, not so much how we think of it today in regards to like evil. Mm. This name, you know, grozna is part of the archaic usage of epithets for stars and other rulers. You know, we were talking about William the Bad. And you have like William the Bloody and all these other names where they could also be positive, you know, courageous, magnificent, magisterial. So it's like a sense of power. You know, you have like Richard the Lionheart in England. So his use of terrible was meant to be more of like a power kind of play, which I just, I think is really interesting. Also, because grozna, terrifying, also relates to another Russian word, uh, groza, which means thunder or thunderstorm. So interesting. In Japanese and Chinese, Ivan's name is translated as Ivan the Thunder. Ooh. That actually sounds more positive than negative, though. Right. So I just thought that that was quite interesting to, you know, consider. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he kind of caused mass serfdom in Russia. And after his death, the empire was, like, nearly eviscerated. And eventually leads to the time of troubles in Russia. So kind of also the legacy after him is not so great. So that's why It's really I- interesting as well, like how Russia obviously has quite a complicated history that's really dictated by like quite terrible rulers, really. Yeah, um, I think it kind of really feeds into why the rhetoric of Russia that we have today. And there's also a back loop of like Russia, yeah, being cold and brutal and vicious. And I think also because there are infamous characters such as Ivan the Terrible or, you know, Rasputin. Mm. And I also always kind of... You know the song, the Rasputin song? In Anastasia? No. In the dark of the night, people find you. Bum, bum. no, not that one. Oh. There's, a, there's a a techno version. Oh, ra 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 Yeah. Oh, oh uh, my God. <laughs> and I also just kind of always wonder, you know, in regards to like Russia and some of those more um, Eastern European states, you know, Hungary, yeah. uh, like on my list, I don't want to steal from you, but I have uh, Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Tempish. I mean, if, for those of you who don't know, Vlad the Impaler is the 
model for Dracula. Is he? I didn't know mm-hmm. that. So he's uh, Wallachian or Wallachian. And so Vlad the Impaler or Vlad the Third Dracula uh, ruled in the uh, 1400s, so 1448 to 1477. Dracula is means of the dragon. So he's the second son of Vlad Dracul. So yeah, Dracula translates as like of the dragon. So Dracula in regards to like Bram Stoker is directly connected um, to that. And Bram Stoker's Dracula, the film by Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola, the opening kind of scenes really set and are based off Vlad the Impaler, which based off his name, if you don't catch that, catch that drift, he infamously would have the heads of his opponents impaled on stakes outside the castle. And to dissuade other people to disobey him. Yeah, and also just like, because he was very vicious. <laughs> and Did you ever watch the Dracula film? Uh, which one? The older one, the 19... 19- Nosferatu? Yes. Yes, I have watched the German uh, Nosferatu. And I've seen Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, I think. Those are the only ones. Yeah, I think those are the only ones that were made, right? No, there's a lot of Dracula's and versions. Like, um, I haven't seen the really famous one with Bela Lugosi. Mm. I haven't seen that one. And I mean, he is Dracula. Like, he was buried in his Dracula. Was he? Costume. Yeah. No yeah. way. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That's so. I mean, also, like, I feel like that is definitely in the mood of um, the afterlife. You know? Yeah. And Bela Lugosi is Romanian, so like I love that because that's he's from the origins. But um, yeah, Vlad Dracula. I mean, if you just Google him, so much he understood people due to his cruelty, to his wickedness, to mm-hmm. his unheard of cruelty and injustice. Yeah, and there were lots of stories that spread during his lifetime, calling him like inhuman. So mm-hmm. those folklore stories that then. Yeah, did, I, was he on your list? Did I steal him from you? No, you or, didn't. Okay, okay. No, but it, it's um, it's quite good because now I can speak of Christian the Tyrant, which you we might not just we might if he's a bit later, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. he's fifteen thirteen to twenty three. But like technically, that could be like late Middle Ages. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's that kind of cusp where I think it's at the technical end of the Middle Ages into the early modern period, but it's such a a pivot moment that yeah. I think you could kind of categorize. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're, please forgive me, pu- public. I hope you, 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 let, you give me this one. So he was the king of Norway and Denmark. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, as a king, in theory, he tried to maintain the Kalmar Union between the Scandinavian countries, which uh, brought him to war with Sweden, which lasted between 1518 and 1523. And what's really interesting, the reason why he's known as Christian the Tyrant is because although when he captured Sweden in 1520, he had promised, he had granted amnesty to all of the nobility, the Swedish nobility. And so this is what's known as the Stockholm bloodbath, Mm -hmm. where he caused the Swedes to rise against his rule and he just basically killed (laughs) all, all of the nobility. 
And so that's quite interesting as well, because if you're like, you know, that, that paso doble, I mean, you know, like that kind of like back on your word and causing like a world conflict is something that we can identify quite a lot with right now. <laughs> yeah, well, and actually this was, I wasn't sure if he was going to get brought up and I had the Stockholm bloodbath right. on my list because we are literally at the 500 year anniversary. Oh, are we? It oh, was okay. November um, 7th to 9th, 1520. Well. And today's the 8th. I'm very, I'm very happy I did that then. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, if it wouldn't have gotten brought up, I was going to make sure that that was thrown in there. So happy 500 years of the Stockholm bloodbath. Um, um, God, well, well, then the election really falls quite well, except there was no bloodbath. Yeah. Right. But I guess metaphorically there was a bloodbath, but a bloodbath for justice. But uh, <laughs> We're to a beat for this episode, Megan. This was going to be better if we were both depressed and, like, pissed off. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would have been, like, vitriolically spitting venom. <laughs> oh, one thing I forgot to mention about Ivan the, the Terrible. Yeah. Sorry, looking at my notes and thinking oh, of bloodbath right. and violence. And you're like, yeah, he wasn't really that bad. You know, serfdom. Meh, it's fine. <laughs> um, he also had a police force formed with a carte blanche to arrest and execute as they liked. So just, like have fun, go at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> he had the city of Novgorod violently sacked and its inhabitants massacred because he just distrusted the city and started a series of ultimately unsuccessful wars with Russia's neighbors. He beat up his own pregnant daughter-in-law and killed his son in a fit of rage. So he did do some, you know, good things. And in many ways, he was seen as an able ruler. But his ruthlessness, paranoia, and taste for blood put him on that list. So hmm. uh, literal bloodbaths here and there throughout history yeah. all over. Uh, I mean, also, it's really um, interesting because I feel like, obviously, in my mind, that just seems like ridiculous that you could get away with it. But then after the, like these past years of being alive, I'm like, nope, that probably would happen now and no one would know. Yeah, I guess part of the reason why I also suggested um, wanting to do this kind of theme for this episode, even though I, I, you know, sent out the beacon or the message to you during a time of despair, thinking that Trump was going to win, <laughs> but now looking at it with, you know, rose-tinted glasses or whatnot, is kind of, so first of all, this theme of paranoia in these rulers that then causes them to lash out and do irrational and, you know, quite often violent acts and yeah. decisions. And just reflecting back on the Trump administration and, I mean, just the paranoia and fear-mongering mm. and the lashing out. It's just, it's really fascinating in a very morbid way for me to kind of look at the comparisons and, you know, reading. So these people we're talking about are exceptional examples. There were also some really wonderful rulers throughout time. And it also inevitably up until, gosh, probably the 18th or 19th century, if not the 20th, because, you know, we had world wars and other horrible things, but getting power was bloody. It was violent. It was yeah. horrible. So even the good people did bad thing yeah. you know like and I think this is also the split as we've talked to so many times throughout this podcast of the romantic medieval and the brutal medieval mm. and of course this can also be extended to you know times of like Roman rule in the classical era which of course you know we have 
great thinkers who have influenced Western philosophical thought, yeah, you know, and democracy and republics, as well as really horrible people like, you know, Caligula and these other European rulers. I did find it quite interesting in this list. I only came across um, one non-Western ruler, really? uh, a Chinese ruler, the... Oh gosh, excuse me if I pronounce this uh, completely wrong, but the the Zengde Emperor of China from 1491 to 1521. Mm. So uh, he's one of the most notorious rulers of the Ming Dynasty. The Zengde Emperor was renowned for both his foolishness and his cruelty. He was fond of leading capricious military expeditions and liked to give orders to an imaginary double. Uh, he called General Zhu Shao Shu, so Z H U space S H O U. During the first five years of his reign, he unwisely put a senior eunuch, Liu Jin, in charge of most of the affairs of state. And when the two fell out of graces with one another five years later, the emperor ordered Liu executed by a three day process of slow slicing, to which Liu succumbed and died on day two. Ming-era novels such as The Zengde Emperor Roams Through Jiangnan cast the emperor as foolish and gullible, at one point enjoying a bowl of rice, gruel he believes to have been made from cooked pearls. But he's the only non-Eurocentric ruler that I came across in these, these lists. Everyone else is from... Romania, Hungary, Russia. How interesting, right? Like, obviously, the East, Europe, Eastern Um, Europe has always been seen as having problematic politics. And it's interesting that we have more examples coming from there than elsewhere when it's probably not reflective of history, really. Right. And yeah, just showing the like Eurocentrism of these lists. Yeah, as well. Um, And then the other one that kind of stood out to me is on the History Extra list. And so this is the one that I said was the worst monarchs in history. And I had never heard of this ruler until today, which I find shocking, is Queen Ranavalona I of Madagascar. Mm. And she ruled from 1828 to 1861. So first of all, this is just kind of showing like how geography is taught and perceptions. As a child, I did not know that Madagascar was actually like inhabited by people. Did you not? I, I always thought that it was like just an island of animals. I know it sounds, and it's not because of the movie. Just like that was your perception, right? Because it was just like never brought up in history. Yeah. Of course, I now know better, and I've known better for quite some time. But <laughs> um, just want to point that out. I do know that that wasn't the case, right? But. Learning, I, I have never heard of this monarch. Have you heard of her before? Um, no, but that doesn't surprise me that I don't know about her. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. So, you know, this, she's ruling during colonial expansion, yeah. like the peak of it. And so she was able to keep Madagascar free of British and French control. Good for and her. She did so by establishing a rule so ruthless that it has been estimated that the population of her kingdom was halved. From 5 million to 2.5 million. That's so quite <laughs> Yeah, she um, retained loyalty of the army, the Malagasy army, by imposing regular periods of forced labor mm. in lieu of taxation. 
And there's a notorious occasion. This is again, like kind of one of those anecdotal stories where she organized a Buffalo hunt for herself, her nobles and their families and followers. And she insisted that an entire road be built in front of the party so that they could have an easy hunt, that they could advance easily. And an estimated 10,000 people died in the process of like executing this job. She faced lots of um, resistance as well on at least one serious coup attempt at forcing her to become, you know, more paranoid. So she began to force people to undergo the infamous Tangana test, where the person that's like on trial or whatnot has to eat three pieces of chicken skin before swallowing uh, a poisonous nut that caused the victim to vomit. Sometimes the, the poison nut just like literally poisoning killed the person, like didn't survive. But if they survived ingesting the nut, and threw up. If not all three pieces of the chicken skin were found in the the vomit, the victim was executed. What? So this is a bit more of a modern example, I guess, of like ducking with witches. Like, oh, if they float, they're a witch. Got to kill them. If they sink, they're innocent, but they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a crazy thing. And I'm just like, how have I not heard of her? Because like, you would think that someone so quote-unquote ruthless that that just makes it into history because we have the fascination with it'd be interesting you know how um this reminded me of um alice in wonderland with the queen of hearts the queen of hearts it'd be interesting to see really you know whether that was at all an influence Hmm, yeah or or maybe you know i mean the british empire has had quite a few ruthless leaders so maybe that not but that'd be interesting because it feels like you know, so distinctly unstable that you, you know, kind of like the Queen of Hearts in a way. And yeah, like the fear of painting the roses red. Yeah. And it's just kind of crazy because her contemporaries, her European contemporaries, condemned her policies as, you know, tyrannical at best and insane at worst. And this like lasted until the mid 1970s. And then with scholastic revision, feminism, rereading history she's her actions have since been kind of seen as the attempt of a queen trying to expand her empire while protecting the malagasy sovereignty against the encroachment of european cultural and political influence which i find yeah that's a bit curious just because she killed so many of her own people but because i don't know the actual history this is really based just off of what i've discovered in the past two hours Um, yeah it'd be interesting to do like proper Right on her because I think there's probably more there than meets the eye. Yeah, meets Wikipedia. But I just wanted to mention that kind of like inversion, which seems quite you know flipping the coin over from crazy and insane to like protecting their people. uh, Just it's interesting though, yeah. Because I mean, also like in none of the um, rulers that we've mentioned before, Mm -hmm. any of their criticism basically said, "Oh yeah, they were insane," and like. There were all they were all men. So obviously the term of insanity is always linked to women, same way as hysteria has always been linked to women. Yeah. Well, some of the men were considered insane as well. But mm-hmm. I wonder if her being a female monarch has led to her erasure in a sense. Yeah. Um, yeah probably. I mean, women surprised. And yeah, I mean, not to I mean women are seen as like hysterical and temperamental and yeah insane it's not to negate what you just said but some of the men were considered insane but I think that they were maybe given more 
patience or yeah, like perhaps more excuses. It is quite interesting. And yeah, the lists that I looked at of like rulers that were like, you know, quote unquote barbaric or ruthless, all men, all men. On the allegedly mad, the history.com list, there are are a few women like Joanna of Castile who lived from 1479 to 1555. She's on the list, which bless her soul. No wonder she would have been like insane because her story's sad more than anything. So I guess continuing this theme of like men suck and women have been oppressed and, you know, et cetera, because, you know, patriarchy. So (laughs) she has a story. So she's also known as uh, Juana La Loca. Her whole family and rivals colluded to keep her confined in asylums throughout her life. Um, So she was born fourth in line to the throne of her parents, Ferdinand and Isabella. And Joanna was married off to Philip the Handsome of Burgundy at age 16. When a series of deaths made her heir apparent to Isabella's throne, so of Castile, uh, her husband, Philip, kept her confined after her mother's death in an attempt to press his claim over Ferdinand, so Joanna's father's land for the Castilian throne. Philip then dies in 1506, and Joanna's confinement is continued for another decade during her father uh, Ferdinand's regency. After Ferdinand's death in 1516, Joanna and her teenage son Charles were made co-monarchs. From then on, it was Charles who kept his mother imprisoned, creating a fictional world to keep her in isolation. When he was concerned that she might try to flee during a plague outbreak, Charles arranged for fake funeral processions to pass by her lodgings, convincing her to stay put and stay inside. <laughs> a group of rebels freed Joanna in 1520 and said that she was sane and fit to rule, but then changed their minds after she refused to support them and decided to support her son, although he would also sometime torment her Charles. <laughs> So I shouldn't be laughing, but that's just fucked up, like, on so many levels. That also is just, no wonder she was insane. Oh, my God. Also, for those of you who are like, Ferdinand and Isabella, this sounds familiar. Why, yes, they are the ones who sponsored Christopher Columbus to discover the America. Oh, well, there we go. They were also the ones who had victory in the war at the Granada, defeating the last Muslim state in Iberia and all of Western Europe. So closing the centuries-long Christian conquest of Iberia. But I, I don't think I've ever heard of Joanna. And she's, no, I hadn't either. And Ferdinand and Isabella are, at least in American history, like names that you know because of Columbus. Really? Columbus sailing the ocean blue and then discovering, mm. you know, the Indies and the Caribbean and then America and ta-da. Royal history is just fucking crazy and hard to keep up with. I've been really struggling yeah. trying to keep them in track with them, um, you know, entering into medieval studies. Because there's constantly people like Joanna that just pop out of the woodwork. And there's I'm like, already I that much research on them, usually. Yeah. Or there is, but it's like, for some reason, you have to like open this magic door to discover like that they existed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, poor, poor Joanna. I feel for you. <gasps> I, I sorry I have like derailed us off our list of like top ruthless people. I have one more okay mention. They're not a ruler, but I don't know if you have anyone else you want to talk about, Elo. No, I think I'm good. No? Okay. So this is a final woman. 
we've, we've, we've gone into our, you know, progressive feminist discourse. Bless it. Um, so, you know, to, before I enter into my, my final surprise woman, you know, other horrible, ruthless leaders. We've got King Leopold II of Belgium, yes, who, definitely. you know, 1865 to 1909, yeah. and the Free State of Congo, which was basically a yeah. no, that was really bad. sugar-coated Have way you- of saying that uh, this is a personal fiefdom and I am going to eviscerate this population. Have you been to Brussels? No, I haven't. So it, right next to the European Commission, actually, there's this park called the, Le Parc de Saint-Contenaire, Mm-hmm. And basically, they have like a really, really big monument. Um, that it's actually kind of like the Berlin one, you know, the um, um what is it called? The the main entrance doors. Okay. And that was made done completely and solely through the harbor of slaves, ah. and the genocide of Congolese people was when I was there in the early 2000s wasn't acknowledged or if it was it wasn't really talked about so that's really interesting that now with Black Black Lives Matter that a lot of like that history has come back to the fore and a lot of things have been taken down in Brussels. Um, One of my really close friends is Belgian. Uh, Mm. He's from outside Antwerp. I've had lots of really interesting conversations with him about you know, Belgian apologies and atonement and reconciliation in regards to the Congo history. And it was just a few months ago that the, um, I think it's their prime minister, I think that's what he's called, kind of apologized for the first time, but he didn't say sorry. No. Like, oh, we feel bad about this. But so it is, it is a really kind of curious and for myself being American and how America is currently facing a reckoning and atonement fascinating to see how another country is approaching their colonial and racist history so but yeah I didn't know about that as well Brussels because um for example France you know with the war this is kind of a digression but I think it still continues with this point the war in Algeria so only um recently that like families got an official apology from Macron families who's who'd lost like sons or husbands or parents to torture by the French government um that they got an official apology by Macron and it's so interesting because that was something that, you know, was also kind of like hushed-hushed. And then that finally took the forefront, which is quite... In- I find that like really fascinating how long it takes for an apology to take place, really. Especially because the Algerian um, conflict, I mean, that was in the 20th century. That was the middle yeah. of the 20th century. So that was much or more recent. 60s. Yeah, you would... Like Albert Camus and I wrote about that because he was Algerian. Yeah. And like that's very in that kind of existential conflict. And uh, like decollage poster work and everything comes out of that. And it's in line also with the 1960s um, student protests and Sorbonne and everything. Yeah. And it's curious how, as you're saying, it took so long, even though it's closer than the Congo. But you would think that uh, apologies or reconciliation or atonement, acknowledgement, however you want to phrase it, would have already come because it was more recent. Yeah. yeah, it's bizarre, like just how history and those kind of incidents and moments in history are responded to throughout time and like their legacies. 
yeah, the final woman, I guess I will say, because uh, we've talked about everyone else that I think others, like our listeners will be aware of, is the infamous Elizabeth Battery. She was a countess, Countess Elizabeth Battery de Exed, and she lived from 1560 to 1614. And she was a Hungarian noblewoman from the noble family of Battery who owned land in the kingdom of Hungary, which is now in Hungary, Slovakia, and Romania. She has been labeled by the Guinness World Records as the most prolific female murderer, though the number of her actual victims is debated and unknown. Battery and four collaborators have been accused of torturing and killing hundreds of young girls and women between 1590 and 1610, so just 20 years. The highest number of victims cited during Battery's trial was 650. However, this number comes from the claim by a servant girl named Susanna that Yakov Shilvasi, Battery's court official, had seen in the figure of one of Battery's private books because she kept track of all the numbers. The book was never revealed, and uh, Shilvasi never mentions this in his testimony. So that's why it's Mm. unknown and kind of more in the realm of lore and legend and myth rather than fact. And despite the evidence against Battery, her family's importance kept her from facing execution. She was imprisoned in December 1610 within the castle of Siete in Upper Hungary, which is now Slovakia. So I bring her up because, I mean, 650 girls murdered. That is crazy. But first, because of her family's importance keeping her from not being executed, because that shows the power dynamics, not only in the Middle Ages, and she's in the early modern, but also just through till today and the sense of like immunity and buyouts and evading justice. And again, linking this to our theme of Trump, what's going to happen with all the evasion of certain legal issues in America? I mean, people in the Trump administration are going to need to lawyer up and lawyer up fast because... Yeah, what do you think is going to happen to um, Trump, actually? Who knows? I don't think he'll face a prison sentence, but I'm hoping that there will be some major consequences to pay. But we'll just have to see. I mean, that's a ways away. Um, So there's that. And I also bring up Battery because she links with Blood the Impaler, not only because of her region, but because of her sadistic serial murders. She is known for horribly mutilating the dead, the dying and imprisoned girls. And she's also known for having vampiric tendencies. There are tales that she bathed in the blood of virgins to retain her youth. And though this is recorded quite a bit after her death and considered unreliable is like, if you were to like Google an image of Elizabeth Battery, a lot of them are going to be her bathing in a tub of blood. And she quickly became part of her national folklore. And her infamy persists to this day. There have also been people who have claimed that she inspired Bram Stoker's Dracula, though there's no direct evidence for that. There are nicknames and literary epithets that are attributed to her name, which include the Blood Countess and Countess Dracula. I just wanted to end on her because I think that this vampiric goriness links to what we were talking about in the past few weeks, you know, with death and the macabre, all those, you know, spooky, gory things, as well as what I was talking about earlier when I mentioned Sally from Texas Chainsaw Massacre and her being literally bathed in the blood of her friends. 
but she escapes. I also just find Batsuri's story like fascinating because of the people who testified against her and for her. And even if it wasn't 650 girls, she still killed hundreds. And that is crazy. Like that, that is crazy. I guess this idea of people with power being able to get away with something so horrible. Yeah, horrid and atrocious have to pay a minimal consequence in return is I just I don't know again it's like the ripple of slight parallels into today so it's so incredible because obviously in the present time you'd never expect these things these things seem quite far away in the way that they have taken place the cruelty the harrowness but like it's really quite it's always quite disruptive and quite terrifying to think about the fact that actually we've had people in power not that long ago Mm -hmm. that have done really terrible things too yeah I don't know it's a lot to process sometimes and to think that we have you know advanced into times of democracy and equality and decency and humanity if you will and then you get slapped in the face with (laughs) complete negations of that So hoping for a more positive future, hoping for a change to that and to not see such eerie, you know, repetitions of history and themes of paranoia and torture, vicious persuasion, trails of blood, literally. Yeah. So, hello. So you can find us on Spotify and on on Apple Podcasts by typing Modern Medieval Podcast. Um, You can find us on social media. You can find us on Instagram by typing podcast.modern.medieval. You can find us on Facebook as we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group by typing Modern Medieval the Podcast. You can find us on email by typing modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com. And the final one, which, you know, we all know that I'm no good at this. So I'm gonna, just going to pass this on. <laughs> yes. So Twitter, you can find us. Our handle is at medieval underscore modern. Please send us your thoughts, comments, memes, questions, corrections, anything, anything. everything. So until next time, I'm Megan. And I'm Ella. And this is Modern Medieval, the podcast. <laughs> 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 <laughs>